Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is October, October 24th, 2012, and this is episode 1004 of the Survival Podcast. And it is a Thursday. We're one day away from Friday, the day that everybody waits for. Uh, returning to the show today for part two of an awesome show on generators. Stephen Harris, he'll be with us in just a moment. Before that, let's take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, ShelfReliance.com. You notice I said shelf, like something you put things on, versus self, like you, yourself, and you, right? Not self-reliance, but shelf-reliance. Well, what's up with that name? Well, that's because they specialize in innovative food storage solutions that are in the form of shelves that allow you to easily eat what you store and store what you eat with canned food. Everything from little bitty cans like uh, tomato paste cans or you know uh, tuna fish cans, things like that, to great big number 10 cans. It's completely configurable and adjustable. Awesome, really space-conscious, sturdy, self-rotating food storage solutions that rock. And then if you're into the long-term food storage stuff, you know, eventually you got to step up out of the supermarket stuff and go into the dedicated long-term storage stuff. And they have the Thrive brand of long-term food storage. The best tasting long-term food storage items I've ever eaten and the biggest variety that I've ever seen and great pricing and shipping and service to go along with it. Check them out today at ShelfReliance.com. Next up today, ready-made resources. Hey, what more can you ask for from a company than they say, this is our name, our name is what we do, and then they do it, and they do it consistently, and they do it right all the time. Check them out today, ReadyMadeResources.com, where you'll find just that, all the resources you need for your prepping, ready-made, ready-to-go, point, click, buy, and they'll be ship to you and I mean everything. Let's look at what they got. Let's say you wanted 12 volt uh, appliances for your solar, wind, or RV, or your bug out location that's off grid. Check, got it. Tactical stuff, got it. Firearm stuff, got it. Hunting stuff, got it. Long-term food storage, got it. Long-term food storage prep supplies like dehydrators, mylar, O2 absorbers, got it, got it, got it, got it. Get it? Everything ready-made, ready to go. Check them out today. ReadyMadeResources.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade today. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, and you support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. It is a product that truly pays for itself. Lots of great discount providers, including Mr. Stephen Harris, uh, USH2.com. Just about everything that's over there, you get great discounts uh, from Steve Harris. About 34, 35 other discount vendors, $150 worth of free ebooks, and uh, really a great way to help support the show. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, and first responders. Prior to joining, if you email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com and inc- uh, put service discount in the subject line and tell me who you are and what you're doing, or if you're prior service, who you are and what you did, I'll send you a special discount code. That will thank you for your service to our country and the world abroad because I appreciate what you've done and I think you deserve, uh, in response for your service, the ability to save even more money. Uh, but anyway, all of you guys, I really appreciate it when you do join the Members Brigade. Please remember it's the main way that we pay the bills around here. With that wrapped up, it's my great pleasure to welcome back... Mr. Stephen Harris, today we're going to talk about not just all those great generator things that uh, we talked about yesterday, but how do we power them, how do we hook them up, how do we run our households. Hey, Steve, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jack. It seems like I was 
happened just down here a few minutes ago. It, uh, it does seem like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just going to get right into it, guys, because i got to move through this content, and it's going to be another one of those. If you missed something, you're going to have to back up a little bit and listen to it twice. I have a lot of details in here that are very, very important to your safety. Okay, guys? <clears throat> so listen carefully. This subject is life and death serious okay not only is it life and death serious because without power you might you don't have water you don't have sanitation and that can be serious to you but if you hook up your power wrong and hurt yourself and do it wrong it can be life and death serious because the electricity can kill you so i'm in no way going to suggest you do <clears throat> any of these methods you are working with 120 volts AC and 200 volts AC from inverters and generators and at your house, and it can kill you instantly right now. You're dead of a heart attack just from touching it. You make a mistake, you can get dead. Get an electrician and get it installed properly. Have someone knowledgeable help you. I'm going to tell you about, with extreme caution, what... <clears throat> other people have done, and it's been documented. Doing this wrong can electrocute, electrocute you, kill you dead. It can kill your children. It can kill your wife. It can kill your dog, okay? Trip over a cord. It comes out, and it's got what, hot, it's hot on the other end. It hits your leg. Boom. Okay? you got problems. So in your opinion, Steve, what's just the safest way of powering stuff in your house from a generator? Extension cords, Jack. You put your generator outside and you put away from the house, and this means not in your garage or in your shed because the exhaust from the generator has carbon monoxide in it, and that can kill you if it builds up in a room or garage area and you walk into it. People ask me if they can run their generator in their house. I go, yeah, you can, once, and then you're dead. So don't do it inside the house. It's outside only. Put the generator outside, start it up, and you have a bunch of yellow, orange, or green extension cords, that, and you run them into your house. Connect them to your TV, connect an extension cord to your refrigerator, your freezer, your fans, your lights, and other items you need. Just unplug them from the wall and plug them into the extension cord or your multiple sockets that you got. This is the most simple and easiest and safest way of doing this. Of course, you can still close your door on an extension cord, cut the cord with the door, and then electrify the door and shock yourself to death as you're holding onto the doorknob while you're standing in a pool of water. So, I mean, extension cords, they got their risks, too. Yeah, and I think another thing is that people need to understand, especially like these, these generators like, uh, you know, like what I have, um, they're not meant to run in the rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you have to wait till the storm's over to fire up the generator. Yeah, that's what. Uh, if you go on YouTube, you'll see a lot of videos of people showing you how to make a doghouse for your generator, and uh, this is what keeps it uh, dry when it's raining and keeps it out of the way, and hopefully keeps the squirrels from making a nest in it if it's sitting outside. Which I think is an awesome idea, and it's it's what people should do if you're going to be long term at any location is build a generator house, basically. Yep. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, man. Oh, well, we we talked about extension cords. Yep. And I talked about different colors of extension cords, and we really got to cover these a little, a little quickly to tell people what the difference are. Basically, there's three categories of extension cords. There's orange or green ones, 
and we see these all the time at Home Depot or Lowe's. These are generally rated at 15 amps of current. They're called medium-duty extension cords, and they're about the same amount or maximum power as you'd get from one outlet, really one circuit in your house. Orange or green extension cords are 14-gauge wire, which is the same size wire that is in most homes, going to a standard 15-amp, 120-volt electrical outlet. They are called 14-3 cords because they are 14-gauge and they got three wires in them, hot, neutral, and ground. If you have a very long run from your generator to your house or you just got one of those really big houses that we don't have, um, you're going to use, or, or if you're going to use a lot of current, okay, and like you're going to run something that takes up a lot of power, uh, like an electric space heater. You run the generator outside, you put an electric space heater in one room the same way you put an air conditioner in one room, you keep yourself warm or cold. If you're going to use an electric chainsaw, and I love electric chainsaws because they're so simple, uh, and this is going to be 100 feet or more away from the generator, then you want to reduce the loss in the cord, and you go with a cord that has a bigger wire gauge in it. 12 or 10 gauge wire. These will be yellow generally, and they will be called 12 slash 3 or 10 slash 3 extension cords. They are available at Walmart, believe it or not. It's where I bought mine. They're at Lowe's and they're at Home Depot. You'll find them especially in the contractor section or with extension cords. I'll put some links to Amazon to these cords on solar1234.com. So you can get an idea of what they cost and see what they look like and then see that it says 12-3 on it so you know what you're looking for. Or you can get it from Amazon. Um, so you'd run the yellow cord from the generator, like 100 feet to your electric chainsaw or 100 feet into your house for your electric heater. And when online looking at the stuff in stores, read the tag. There are some yellow extension cords out there that are the same size as the orange ones. They'll say 14.3 on them. But generally, the big, thicker ones are yellow. And you can, you can tell they're thick. They're the size of your finger or bigger. You can tell by the weight when you pick them up. I mean, if you're sitting there looking at 250-foot cords or 200-foot cords, and you pick one up and they're different gauge, you'll know from the weight alone. And if I can throw something in here, there's two things I never buy the cheapest I can get up. Garden hoses and extension cords. If you buy the best quality heaviest duty stuff you can get there they last longer than you do if you buy the cheap shit they last a year or two they get kinked up twisted knotted they're the this, this same category as far as i'm concerned yep yep you know go with quality for the higher current cords you if you have to run a higher current yellow cord just stick with the 12 3 cords 12 slash 3 cords okay this will be fine if you want to go overkill you can get a 10 slash 3 cords which is 10 wire, which is 10 gauge wire, and that's a lot thicker than 14. The lower the gauge number, the thicker the wire, the more current it can handle, and the less loss, voltage loss, you'll have in the line, but the more expensive the cord will be. If you go on one of my Amazon links, you'll find a 100-foot yellow 10 gauge, 10 slash 3 cord, and it costs $167, okay? So as you go up, and copper is expensive right now, guys. So the bigger the diameter, the lower the loss, the more expensive it's going to be. So you you might need one good yellow 12-3 cord, okay, like one 100-footer or a 100-footer and a 50-footer. Then for the rest of your house, you can go with the standard orange ones from Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart. 
So from the extension cord coming from the generator into the house, you'll put in a splitter or a multiple outlet. Now, my favorite one of these are the solid orange ones. You can hold them in your hand, okay? They're solid orange or solid green. You find that they have part, part of the plug plugs into the wall, okay? And then you have three outlets on it. It's, it's all one piece of solid rubbery material with three outlets on it on different sides of the splitter. So if you plug into the wall and that's south there'll be one outlet at north one outlet at east one outlet at west so they're also called t outlets go to solar1234.com i'll have photos of them there and links to amazon it's also called the t-shape adapter once you see it you'll know instantly what i'm talking about okay they're all over home depot lowe's and walmart they're also Anyway, just go look at the photo. You'll know what I'm talking about. Also, if you want one of the best outlet strips you can find for plugging in six or eight or ten things at once, you just plug these T-shaped adapters into each other, and you make them as big as you want. So you can plug in your phone, your iPad, your Game Boy, your TV, plug everything you want into this one spot, run another extension cord to it upstairs, plug in two more of these, have five outlets up there, run another cord from there to the kids' room, plug one in, have three outlets for them. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how you and I always come to the same gear from different <laughs> perspectives. That box I talked about with all our dedicated extension cords in it, there's about 10 of them things in there just plugged into, like, one big long block, and you just yank it out and take them as you need them. And we can run everything that we'd ever want to run in our house uh, other than central AC off of, a, you know, a, a 6,500K generator that way. And uh, I have thought about having a backup switch wired in, but, like I said, since we're moving, and it's safe, like you were saying. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, these are solid T-shaped splitters. They're very durable. Like I said, they're like an all-rubbery, hard plastic. You can The ones I'm talking about, you can run over with a car, and it'll just laugh at you. They're typically only 3 or 4 bucks each, and you'll see them at Home Depot on sale around Christmas time for like a buck fifty. okay? This is when you stock up. And generally, the ones on sale at Christmas will be, will be green because they want it to match your Christmas tree and not have this big orange thing standing out underneath your tree. Yeah, rats those Christmas light strings. Uh, and I'll, the only thing, if you run one over with your car, make sure you don't run over with it with the brass sticking up. You might put a hole in your tire, but you ain't going to break the daggone thing. But I got a question for you uh, that we always hear about with generators. What is backfeeding my home? What's that mean? Well, Jack, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about backfeeding and powering your house, and we're going to go from what is very illegal and dangerous to what is safe and recommended up to code. So we're going to start with what is very dangerous, and I'm not suggesting that you do this in any form. Just to be clear, that is not a joke. He's serious, folks. I'm serious, okay? I'm just, I'm just telling you what other people have done, and you'll find documented on the Internet. I'm just telling it to you and giving you all the warnings and all the cautions, okay? If you, you can follow someone's quick paragraph and get yourself electrocuted. Backfeeding uses a special cord that you have to make. It's also called a suicide cord <laughs> because it's got two male ends on it. It's got, you know, each end has a plug on it. And if one side is energized, the other side is energized, and you got open plugs, you know, you got open spades right there. 
at the end of the cord, and you touch it, it'll electrocute you, and you're dead, or you got a hole in your leg or your arm, or your hair standing up, and you're not going to have a good day. You remember, it's not just electrocuting yourself. It's electrocuting your kids or your dog, okay? You can trip over the cable, pull it out of the wall. It can wing around and hit you and zap you pretty good. With backfeeding, what you're typically going to do is you're going to go to your circuit breakers for your house. You're going to turn off. You're going to turn off. You're going to throw the main breaker, the big one at the top. You do this first, and you always do it. If there is a power failure and you plug your generator into your house and the main circuit breaker is on, then you're not only powering your house, but the entire electrical system and lines in the entire neighborhood all around you, which means a line man working on what he thinks is a down and dead line trying to fix it for you might grab a line that is energized by your generator through your house back through the transformer to him. Even if he's a mile away, this can happen, and he can get himself killed. And you are then responsible for his murder or his manslaughter, and you are going to prison, where you won't have to worry about food, water, shelter, or power, because it'll all be taken care of for you. <laughs> and again, this isn't a wink-wink, nod-nod for information purposes only. Steve's telling you what you're going to find if you look out there, and not to do it in a very serious manner. Yes, I am, Steve. So what people do is they turn off the main breaker and electrical panel, if you don't know what that is or what I'm talking about, then do not do it. <laughs> Sit down, shut up, light a candle, and suffer. If you don't know how to do this, you might have an electrician try to explain it to you or have him do it for you. It, having someone professionally do it will be the cheapest thing you can do, okay? So assuming, well, like I said, what's the most expensive? What's the most expensive form of power? No power, okay? Paid electrician, have them hook it up right, and then you got power, and you can watch your neighbors sit down, shut up, light a candle, and suffer. <laughs> so assuming you know what you're doing and you know the risks, you turn off the main breakers. Did I say that? You turn off the main breakers, and then you turn off, click, 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 all the other breakers. All breakers off, and the main breakers stay off. Now, if you're doing this with an inverter off your car, like we talked about in the show where I told you how to power your inverter off your car, which is at solar1234.com, you can go and unplug everything in your house. I mean, you switch off the main breakers, you switch off the, all the regular breakers, and then you go and unplug everything in the house. I mean everything. You unplug the clocks. You unplug the refrigerator. You unplug the freezer. You unplug the TV because you're about ready to plug into your house a low-power inverter, okay? You don't need something going and kicking on, and your inverter will cry or fry on you. Or you'll blow the fuse, which is another reason to have spare fuses. And spare fuses are damn cheap on Amazon, and they're on solder1234.com. You then take your suicide plug. You now know why it's named that, which is like a regular extension cord, but it has two male ends on it. You have to make this yourself if you were going to make one of these dangerous things. You can't buy it. You have to look at the electrical. If you look at an electrical socket, you'll see two slits electrical plug in the United States, okay? And you'll find one rounder hole. That's your ground. The two slits will have different sizes. There is a one slit that is a little bit smaller 
and there's one slit that's a little bit longer. The smaller one is hot. This is one that's going to fry your rear end, okay? This is normally a black wire. Think of black as in death, okay? This is the hot wire. The, lo the longer slit is going to be neutral. This is normally a white wire. The round one on the bottom is ground, which is normally a green wire. So you hook up the small slot, the black wire, from one plug to a smaller prong on the other plug with the black wire. And then the longer slit, the wire from it, goes to the longer spade, sorry, actually the, the lug, on the longer one, and that is going to be a white wire. Then the ground on one plug goes to the ground on the other plug, and that will be a green wire. You now have a suicide cable with electricity exposed. If you screw this up, and, for example, you wire hot, the black death wire, from your generator to the ground in your house, you can make the metal case on everything in your house hot, like your refrigerator is a metal case. And it will be hot instead of ground. And then you go and touch your refrigerator and you wind up dead. Okay? Messing up the, messing up the pins and messing up the wires will get you hurt or killed. Again, if you don't have a clue, don't do this. Don't do it anyways. Some will end up, someone will end up dead and someone will end up going to prison. I'm not telling you to do this. I am not recommending it. I'm just telling you what others have done and how dangerous this is. Now, other people who know what they're doing would make sure the inverter at the car or the battery bank is off. Then you plug one side of your suicide plug into the inverter, and then you go plug the other end into a 120-volt outlet inside your house. Now you turn the inverter on. Now you go into your house where everything is unplugged and all the breakers are off, and the main breaker is off, and it always stays off, you just turn on the regular breakers. The main breaker stays off. Then you go back into the house, and you plug into the wall only the stuff that you want to use. Your TV, some compact fluorescent light bulbs, LED lights, a fan, all the small stuff that you can run off your inverter in your car. This might be your refrigerator or freezer one at a time if you've got an 800-watt inverter on your car and it's idling. Again, go listen to the power of your house from your car with an inverter show. If you are doing this with the 120-volt plug on a generator, you can do the same thing that I just described on the inverter, except you don't need to unplug everything from the wall in your house. But make sure you do unplug the stuff you're not going to use just so it doesn't come on, like your big AC unit, uh, your electric heater, your refrigerator or freezer, because you're now feeding the entire house through one outlet that is designed to be only one circuit. You can't feed your entire house through one 15-amp outlet, so unplug stuff you're not using and plug it in as you need it. Make sure you don't go over the 15 amps that that outlet can handle. This would also be about 1,500 watts. If you don't want to, you don't want to go over that on a regular 15-amp, 4-gauge wire wall outlet. You can overheat the line and burn down your house. I'm not telling you because this can happen. I'm telling you this because this has happened, okay, to people who go through disasters and have wired it up this way. I told you this was going to be the most dangerous show I ever talked about. 
There are houses that, like I said, have burned down. Others have been electrocuted. There are many other people who are dead who did this and many other people who are injured. Someone else telling you this might not tell you all of these <laughs> warnings. And I'm telling you these warnings and you can get hurt. That's why I'm telling you all this because I really care about you guys. For the generator, you plug the suicide plug into the house first with all the breakers off and, of course, all the mains off and they stay off. Then you start your generator and let it get running. Then you plug the other end of the suicide plug into the generator. You Now, you're not plugging into a load because all the breakers are off, okay? Now, you go to your electrical panel and you turn on only the circuit breakers that you want to energize in the house. This might be your furnace if it's wintertime. It might be your kitchen outlets for the refrigerator and microwave, etc. Keep in mind that you're only energizing one half of your panel when you're backfeeding 120 volts. You cannot energize both sides of your panels through a single 120-volt outlet. So only half the outlets and the stuff in your house will work. You can't energize more than one outlet. Okay, guys, you can't plug into two outlets with the generator and think you're going to feed your whole house. You'll end up short-circuiting everything, blowing your generator and blowing cords and everything else. So one suicide cord from the generator to one outlet in the house will energize half the house. So you might have the extension cord inside your house to plug your refrigerator into a nearby outlet that is on the half of the house that is energized. I saw one very smart person who did a suicide cord for his house, and there was an outlet on his furnace, and that's what he wanted to power in the wintertime. So when he plugged the suicide cord into his generator and plugged the suicide cord into the furnace, he knew that the furnace was always going to be energized and half the outlets in the house were going to be energized, okay? That's what I saw someone else do. Keep in mind there are no breakers in the system when you're backfeeding. If you try to pull more power than your one line or outlet can handle, then you risk heating up the line at the outlet or in the wall of your house and starting a fire and burning down your house. Backfeeding your house with an inverter is only for powering small stuff. Lights, fans, TV, radios, phones, iPads, and maybe you plug in your refrigerator into the outlet and then let it run for an hour or two a few times a day. Then your freezer at a different time. This is not for your microwave oven. That draws almost as much power as one outlet can handle. And you sure as hell are not going to plug in your coffee maker. God had someone who said, I want to power my coffee maker, my freezer, my refrigerator, and disaster. Uh, coffee makers draw in an incredible amount of electricity when heating up. It's not a low-power appliance. It can use five to eight times more electricity than your refrigerator. Get a propane stove and an old-fashioned coffee pot and make coffee on the propane or Coleman stove the old-fashioned way. Don't you agree, Jack? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. If you want to know more about inverters and how to use them on your car and when you need to idle your car for more power, you can get my show on powering your house from your car with an inverter. The show is at www.solar1234.com. It's absolutely free. You can sign up and listen to it directly on your smartphone or your computer without downloading it. Or you can listen to the show and save it off on your phone or computer if you desire. You can save it off to listen to 
when there's no power and no internet and you're running your computer off of your generator and you want to listen to what I told you because you didn't take notes. Uh, of course, all my shows are on Jack's website, The Survival Podcast. You can get them all there. I'll also mention that this method of powering your house is illegal in most areas. As it should be. <laughs> it is most definitely against code. You are responsible for everything that happens. If your house burns down from this and the insurance company finds out about it, they won't pay you for your damage. So I'll say it again. Use extension cords for the generator is the best way. It's the best simple way. And make sure you don't slam the door or break the insulation on the cable. If you have a metal door, wind up being dead doing this. Pinching the extension cord can also cause a fire if you do it really hard. Basically, if you break the outside of your extension cord, guys, throw it away. Okay? The lines have been jeopardized. You don't want to have an exposed line where someone can step on it, electrocute themselves, or it will cause a fire. And on extension cords, if you have a plan in advance, it always makes things better. Like I was talking about having a dedicated cords. The other thing we did, I have a piece of wood cut to length that I can put into one window, and four extension cords will fit in the little space that's left open. That window sits down on that that board. If it does have any kind of, you know, you want to keep the window mostly shut, you've only got a small gap there. Cords never get pinched. So much simpler than trying to worry about whether or not the kid's going to run out and slam the door, uh, that type of thing. So I think we've covered backfeeding the house, man. What about these freaking idiots that backfeed the whole damn house? Yeah, uh, that, hey, Jack, that's the best idea. Cut a two-by-four to the length, just a little bit shorter than your window, shut the window on it, and run the cords through the hole. Yep, that's what we do. That board goes in the box with the cords. I mean, it just makes things simple. You grab one box, and everything's ready to go. Okay, good. Now, like you mentioned, backfeeding the entire house. How do other people backfeed their house with a generator in a disaster or emergency after a hurricane or crap hits the fan situation? The most common way is you do this with another suicide cord, this one more dangerous because you're using 240 volts rather than 120 volts. If you think 120 volts will kill you, and it will, 240 will fry your rear end at the same time, blowing your finger off. For this, you have to have a 240-volt generator. Remember, 240-volt generators also have 110 circuits on them, so it's better to have a 240-volt generator. You're not stuck with 240. It's just a better option. The generator will have on it what's called an L1430 four-wire plug. One wire is going to be ground, one is going to be neutral, one will be what's called L1, and one is called L2. There is 240 volts across L1 and L2. These are both hot, too, okay? Like I said, black wire, down. And what people do is they buy the same male plug that their electrical stove, or more common, their electrical dryer uses in the garage, and they will wire neutral to neutral, the bottom pin, round pin to the bottom round pin, and then they'll wire L1 to one of the big spades on the dryer, and then they'll run L2 to one of the big spades on the plug for the dryer. Um, so now you have a male-to-male cord that with one end that is the same as your dryer and the other one that plugs into your generator. You now have a suicide cord at 240 volts. If your dryer has four holes in it, then you'll have to you'll hook up L1, L2, neutral, and ground to each other. 
Again, if you don't understand this, you damn well better find someone who does or have an electrician help you or don't do it at all. I'm going to cover the safe and legal way to do it in a little bit. Then go and turn off, people then go and turn off all their main breakers. They turn off the main breaker, and then they turn off all the breakers. The generator is off. There is no power in the house. There is no power at the generator. And one side of the suicide cord is plugged into the house, and all the breakers are off. Then you go and plug the suicide cord into the generator, and you start the generator. There's no load on the generator because all the breakers are off. Once the generator is on and going, They then go to their breaker panel and they start to turn on the breakers in the box that they want powered. The main breaker is still off and always will be off. Both sides of the box are now powered by the generator at 240 volts with a neutral. And that way all the circuits in the house are live because what you have is you have 240 volts across L1 and L2. You got 120 volts across L1 in neutral, and you have 120 volts across L2 in neutral. This is how the generator with 240 volts L1, L2 in neutral is backfeeding the entire panel and powering everything in the house. Now, you still have the same problem as you did before. You are feeding the entire house through one cable, one outlet, okay? That cable is now a 240-volt cable, and it's usually designed for 30 amps going to your dryer, 30 amps max. 30 amps times 240 volts is 720 watts maximum. Stay below 5,000 watts if you did this to be on the safe side. And that is if I was suggesting you do this, and I'm not. Because I've told you how dangerous it is and that you can electrocute yourself or your kids or your dog, or if you pull too much power through this one line, even though it can handle up to 7,200 watts by theory, you can start a fire, especially you got, if you got a loose connection, and it'll burn down your entire house. Now, look, I know a lot of people out there are wondering why Steve just took all this time to explain the intricate details of how to do something that you should not ever do. And I'm going to tell you why, even though he hasn't told me, because I know. It's because I've gone out and looked for this stuff myself, and if you go out and look for information on how to do it, there are nimrods out there that make it sound a whole lot simpler than it really is, make it sound a whole lot safer than it really is, and you will either kill yourself, somebody else, or burn your house down. So Steve's taking the time here to put this intricate detail in to make you really understand that no matter who tells you this is a good idea, it's not a good idea. Did I get that right, Steve? You got it perfectly. You got it perfectly. And in an absolute emergency when the shit hits the fan, the crap hits the fan, and there is no civilization, there's no government, there's no electrical codes, and you have nothing, this would be still something that could be done as a last-ditch uh, effort, especially if your uh, your wife was an electrician and she knew how to do this. How's that? Yeah, basically, I think if you need to be told how to do it, you don't need to be doing it even in the apocalypse. And if you know how to do it, then you know the risks. But as we move out of the realm of like burning houses down, killing electrical workers, and killing ourselves and our dog, and toward the legal end of the spectrum, we move towards something called an interlock. What is that about? Jack, like you said, we're starting to move towards the legal portion of the show. Okay, I told you it was going to be the most dangerous show I ever talked to you about, and it is. But only if you have the interlock plate installed is it getting towards legal or fully legal, and then you still have to check your code. 
What people do is instead of backfeeding their house with a suicide plug through the dryer plug, is they might have an open 240-volt breaker like I do in my house in the electrical panel. Um, for example, I got a natural gas stove that used to have uh, an electrical stove in. We put in natural gas, took out the electrical stove. Now i got a free 240-amp breaker, and it's a 30-amp circuit breaker. And this is what went to the stove. People will throw the main breaker on the box to turn all the power off. Okay, then they will wire in to the 240 volt. They'll wire in a 240 volt electrical socket sitting next to the breaker box, and they will wire this 240 volt socket into the 240 volt breaker. Okay, this means you're putting lines into the breakers. The power had better be off. You better know what you're doing. And actually, Steve Harris does not mess around inside of his electrical box. Okay, I I don't even do this myself. You sound like me. I have a rule. If I don't completely know something, I'll try it unless it can kill me, and then I don't touch it. That's right. <laughs> the breakers are always stay off until you backfeed the house to the interlock, okay? So this little 240-volt, 30-amp breaker that you just put the, the backfeed into from a dedicated socket, this always stays off, and the interlock is what keeps it off. Now, there's several things, both legal and illegal. During a power failure, people will turn off the main breakers, as you always do, and always leave it off. And the breaker to the interlock is off. They then turn off all the breakers in the panel. You plug in the suicide cord into the socket going to the 240-volt breaker, and you plug the other end to the generator turned off, and then you start the generator. And then you turn off on the 240-volt AC breaker that's going to where your suicide cord has been wired in, and you're still leaving the main breaker off. You then will start to turn on all the other individual circuit breakers of the parts that you want to power in the house. Now, there is this is where the word interlock comes in. There are companies that make interlocks, which is just nothing but a cut sheet piece of sheet metal that is on the front of your circuit breakers in your box. The way the sheet is cut is when the main breakers are on, the grid is working, and there's no power failure, it will prevent you from turning on the 240-volt breaker that goes to your backfeed socket. This will be typically a recessed male socket, usually with a cap on it. That way, the 240-volt breaker can never be turned on and energize the socket that you could stick your finger into, okay? Just like you stick, stick your finger in a regular wall outlet if you're real dexterous and electrocute yourself, you could electrocute yourself if you stuck your finger into the 240-volt socket, which is why the interlock keeps that breaker off so that never gets energized. Now, when the power fails, you slide this sheet of metal down about an inch and it has slots on it that lets this happen for you. And it actually forces you to turn off the main breaker, and then it unblocks your 240-volt, 30-amp backfeed breaker. It unblocks it so it can be turned on, okay? So what an interlock does is when the main breakers are on, and you got grid power, it prevents the 240-volt interlock from being on. When the power is off in a, in a failure, it 
forces you to turn the main breaker off and lets you turn on the 240-volt 30-amp interlock. So that's now on, and you can backfeed the house. Um, you then go and start your generator, and you and it's already plugged into the house, and then you go turn on all the breakers, and that way you're not turning the generator onto the load. So now you take the normal cable that has the right connectors on it, and like I said, you plug it into the generator, it's turned off, you plug it into your inlet that goes into your interlock. This is not a suicide plug when you have an inlet plug at this time because you're not having a male socket. You don't, it's a, it's a, sorry, I'm screwing this up. It's a, it's a male socket and you're holding a female plug in your hand like any other extension cable. Sure, makes sense. Right. So you plug in the cable, start the generator, let it get going, then you go back to the panel and you start to turn on the breakers to the rest of the house to power it up. Uh, keep the ones off that don't need power. This can be legal depending upon where you are. This is usually installed by a certified electrician, and it really should be. Take the cable that goes from your generator all the way up to your house. He'll put in the female interconnect uh, socket uh, next to the breaker panel, and he'll install the interlock on your panel. And now you are getting to the point where you are a lot safer and you're beginning to meet code. But when I listen to all of that, I just think that there's there's a right way to do this that's much safer. Also, it's going to probably involve an electrician, but you, you mentioned it earlier, and that's moving into the world of a transfer switch. Now we get to the transfer switch, and this is the right way to have it done, especially if a certified electrician does it. The transfer switch, and I mean the big one in a metal cabinet, and... It's on, it's in a metal cabinet on its own. It's not in your breaker panel. And it's got a big lever on the side and it has an on at the top and it has an off in the middle and it has a second on position on the bottom. What a certified electrician will do is he'll pull your power meter off your house and that totally disconnects you from the grid. It disconnects your panel from the grid. The electrical panel is now completely dead. He'll take the main lines coming into the house, L1, L2, and neutral lines, going to your panel, and he'll wire it into one half of the transfer switch. And then he'll wire from the transfer switch back to your electrical panel. This will be the top on position. Then he'll put a 240-volt inlet receptacle, as previously described, on the other half of the transfer switch box. Usually this is the bottom half. The top half is usually for grid power. So the box with the transfer switch has a big lever on the side. And it's got an up position that is on, a middle position that is off, and a lower position that is on. It's going to be up for normal operation for power from the grid. When the power fails, you go to the circuit breaker box, turn off the main breaker, then you turn off all the individual breakers. Okay, we're still doing that. Now you throw the transfer switch down to the middle position off, and it's going to go clunk, and you're going to hear it, okay? Now nothing is powered, not the breaker box, not the generator, nothing. You then plug your generator cable into the generator, and you plug it into the inlet plug that goes into the transfer switch. Everything is still off. You turn on your generator and let it get going, and then you throw the big transfer switch down to the other on position. This is the on position for power from the generator. 
The generator is now feeding your entire electrical panel from the top of the panel. The main wires going to into the electrical panel itself. Now you do actually turn on the main breakers because the transfer switch has been disconnected, has disconnected you completely from the grid. Okay, you are not on the grid. The transfer switch won't allow it in any shape or form. So the main breakers actually have to come on because it's feeding the entire box from the top. It's not back feeding. It's not interlocked. It's going from the top of the box the way God wanted it to happen. Like I said, it's actually impossible for this type of transfer switch to feed electricity back onto the grid and hurt alignment. Now you go and turn on your individual breakers and you leave everything on as long as the generator is running. The entire house is now fed from the generator. There is a guy on YouTube who has a lot of this very well illustrated in his video. I'm going to put that video on solar1234.com in these show notes so you can see half of the stuff I just talked about. You'll get to see what an inlet what an inlet socket looks like, what an L1430 twist lock receptacle and plug looks like, and he's got an inexpensive interlock on his box that might be an option for you. And now he doesn't have the bigger one I was talking about. His interlock is goes to his circuit breakers. He does not have a big transfer switch, which is what I think is best, and he only powers half his circuits, the ones that he thinks are critical. So it's an okay video, so you can get a good overview. Actually, I now have three videos up there. I got this one. I got another one that shows another interlock. I got one that shows you the great big 200-amp transfer switch and how it works. It's just the guy has he's an electrician. He's got the transfer switch box open, and he's throwing the switch, the lever arm from on to off to on. You can see how it goes clunk, clunk back and forth. This is to give you a pretty good over, overview. Now, Jack, that about covers it for hooking up your generator or your inverter to your house. I'm sorry there were so many details. I tried to be really explicit in how I was telling it to you. But I think I told it to you the best way that I can. Yeah, I'd like to ask you uh, one question. Um for people to, to maybe understand that, you know, there's certain things that go on during a power outage, like you have your trans, because I think we would both, just before I, I say this, we'd both agree the transfer switch is the way to go if you're not going to do the extension cord thing. Right. Okay, so you got the transfer switch hooked up. Generator's out there humming away. It's humming away for a long time. Power still has not come back on. You go out and look at your happy little generator that used to have a little gauge setting up by the F. It's down near the E. We now need to refuel the generator. We need to do everything you said basically in reverse while we shut that generator down, refuel it, and power it back up, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't want to turn the generator on into a load. Uh, the inverter generators you can actually turn on into a load because the inverter has a little computer in there, and it looks – it says, oh, I have a load. <laughs> it, sure. it ramps itself up and then kicks it, kicks, kicks its inverter on. But the general rule of thumb is you don't want to start a generator into a load, a regular generator. That's why you turn off all your breakers, plug everything in, turn on the generator, and you go back and go flip, 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 and turn on everything individually so you're not throwing a great big load onto the generator at the same time. 
And as an army mechanic, I'm going to tell you, don't go hot fuel in your generators. We had very specific procedures to hot fuel vehicles, aircraft, etc. in the military. It was done in emergency purposes only. It ain't worth it. It takes five minutes to shut everything down, let it cool a little bit, and fuel your generator. Don't hot fuel anything unless you absolutely have to. And by hot fuel, he means fueling, fueling it while it's running. Correct. I mean, it's just it's just not a good idea. It, it's it's a lot different than you know. They don't advise it hot fueling a vehicle. If you hot fuel a vehicle, your 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 gas is going into a place very far away from your motor. When you're sitting over a generator that's screaming hot because it's been running for eight hours and you need to refill it, you're sitting right next to the motor. It's just a bad. You got electrical cords and everything else. Shut it down. Fuel it up, and, and it's probably good to give it that little break anyway. Yep, definitely. So now let's talk about fuel, man. You promised to cover gasoline, diesel, natural gas, and propane. Okay, gasoline and diesel generators. Pretty straightforward. You pour the fuel into it when it's off, and you start it. I covered the storage and usage of fuels in my last appearance on TSP, actually the one before the other one that we just did, and I did it in explicit detail. You can find the fuel and fuel storage show along with the how to power your house from an inverter in your car show on solar1234.com, which is my dedicated radio show website. So natural gas and propane. Uh, like I said, gasoline, diesel, you pour it in, you run it. So really, we need to talk about natural gas and propane. I think natural gas is one of the most incredible fuels available to the public because you have an infinite supply of it going right to your house. The entire natural gas system is run and pressurized by the natural gas itself. If the crap hits the fan, the natural gas system will still be up for months without anyone doing anything to maintain it. I got this directly from the experts at the natural gas company who have worked there for over 30 years. So it'll be there for your entire hurricane or blizzard or ice storm or most disasters that are going to hit you. The exception to this is earthquake country, California, Oregon, Washington. An earthquake will rupture natural gas lines, and they will start fires. So the natural gas system is automatically shut down when an earthquake hits. So natural gas sucks for powering your house after an earthquake, but, hey, that's the price you li pay for living in wonderful California. <laughs> So the rest of us basically have an infinite amount of, amount of fuel uh, that we do not have to store in our house or in drums or add treatments to. It'll never go bad or, ch or change. Hell, natural gas is already tens of millions of years old, okay? It's not going to go bad or spoil. It's just like air. How old do you think that oxygen molecule is that you've just, you're breathing, huh? That's a mm -hmm. 4.5 billion years is the age of the Earth, and it probably predates that. It was, yeah, oxygen, all elements were formed in the middle of supernovas, and, and that would be the beginning of the universe. And all the oxygen on the planet Earth came from comets, which deposited water on the Earth. So that means that oxygen molecule you're breathing is probably 12 billion years old. <laughs> you ponder that for a while when you're going to sleep tonight. Now, for the people with propane, you usually have a 500 or 1,000-gallon pig. Uh, that's a big metal tank on your property. They're called pigs. Some, one, some people get clever and get two of them 
on their property. So one is always full, and the other one is always being used. The propane is always there. It's like natural gas. It is never going to spoil. It is never going to break down, and you have a lot of it stored very perfectly. In fact, using my calculator here, if there's 91,500 BTUs per gallon of propane and 120,000 BTUs in a gallon of gasoline, then your 500-gallon propane pig is like having 380 gallons of gasoline stored perfectly. This would be the same as 26 15-gallon HDPE drums that we talked about in our fuel storage show. Plus, propane is a lot cheaper than gasoline or diesel. So there's a money savings there. I should say propane is cheaper when you have a 500-gallon or 1,000-gallon pig filled up by the big propane truck. It's not cheaper when you buy 40-pound barbecue containers from Home Depot or the hardware store, okay? So don't think you're going to go get propane in a barbecue bottle and think you're going to be saving money over gasoline. You're not. You do when you have a big pig. Now, how do you run your generator on natural gas or propane? Well, first, it has to be a gasoline generator. It's true that a diesel engine can run on natural gas or propane, and indeed, I, Steve Harris, have done it, even in my Dodge Ram, but it still requires about 10% diesel to run at the same time for ignition purposes. Plus, it does not follow the load very well, and for the sake of this conversation and this show, we'll stick with the, with the conversion of a gasoline generator to natural gas or propane. I know you've all stepped up to the edge of your seat, and you're listening very carefully now. Now, it is true that I have run gasoline motors and engines on conversions that I made nothing on conversions I made that uses nothing more than pipes and pipe valves, and I've even made an air fuel mixer for natural gas to run a gasoline generator from a block of wood that I drilled, cut, and carved out. But these were for only running the generator at one speed. You actually had to turn something uh, or turn a valve to speed up or slow down the engine. And this is the same problem we talked about with PTO generators. You have to manually follow the load. This is not what you want to do. This is the wrong way to do it. And for a generator, because it is going to go up and down the load as you turn things on and off in your house, so the generator needs to maintain a constant speed. <clears throat> Excuse me. To do this, you need a natural gas or propane demand regulator. Okay? You use the same regulator for natural gas as you do for propane, but you adjust the regulator to allow less propane than in the natural gas because propane has two and a half times more energy per cubic foot than natural gas does. So you need to allow more natural gas in than you do propane. Either way, this same demand-based regulator will work for what you want to do. So the heavier the load on the engine, the more the regular, the more the regulator automatically opens up and allows more fuel in. <coughs> Excuse me, still getting over my little bit of cold. When I said there are two things that affect an engine, that is speed and load, and that is load was measured by the manifold absolute pressure or MAP, which is more commonly called engine vacuum. That is what a demand regulator works on. It works on that vacuum. The more demand for you get in the engine, the more demand for fuel, the more it'll open up. To do this correctly, and here's the hard part, the carburetor on the generator needs to be drilled, and a small tube needs to be silver-soldered into it. 
This is not something you normally do at home, and how to do this is beyond the scope of this show at this time. Hell, look at how long I've already run. I've already gone two shows. I can't tell you how to drill and tap your carburetor. So if you buy – this is how you run your generator natural gas. If you buy a brand-new generator, what you do is you take off the carburetor and you send it to a company, and they send you back a new carburetor that's already drilled out, and they send you the demand pressure regulator and all the connectors and all the parts to make your generator run off natural gas and everything you need to run the generator. So you are swapping out a new carb for a new drilled carb. If you have a used generator that you want to run a natural gas, you need to take the carburetor off, send it to the company, and they will drill it and send it back to you with everything else that you need, like I just mentioned. This usually takes a week longer than if you have a new carb you are just trading out. You are not going to power your generator off of natural gas or propane if it's a gasoline generator and your disaster has already hit you. Sorry. <clears throat> so I'm sorry. But to do it right and to do it the way that you can depend on and bet your life on, you got to either buy it already converted as a tri-fuel generator, gasoline, propane, and natural gas, and ready to go, or you have to send in your carburetor and then get the kit back and install it. I sent my carburetor in and had it drilled and tapped and then got the kit back and put it on my Honda EU2000i, which I have to say is my favorite generator. It's an inverter generator, weighs 42 pounds. You can pick it up easily and runs on gasoline, natural gas, or propane. The kit only cost me $179 plus shipping, so it is pretty affordable. When you do this conversion and it's done right, you do not lose, and nor do you want to lose the ability to run it from gasoline. That's always your backup method for fueling your generator. Two is one, one is none. Plus, you might want to put the generator in your pickup truck and take it camping or you take it to your parents' house that has a power outage or something. That is why it's called a tri-fuel generator. It will run on gasoline, natural gas, or propane. If you have gasoline in it and you want to run it on natural gas or propane, you then turn off a valve inside the cover of the generator and it turns off the gasoline. So the gasoline can stay in the tank, you turn off the valve, and it will run off of natural gas or propane. And you know how generators are sometimes hard to start on gasoline if they've been sitting around for a while, pull, 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 pull? Well, that's not true with natural gas or propane. You just push the priming valve on the demand regulator. It squirts some natural gas in, pull it, and it starts up on the first pull almost every darn time. You will really like starting your natural gas or propane generator. So where's the best place to get conversion kits, or do you get a converted generator or send these things to get to get done? Well, there's only two places in the United States that are worth a darn, and I like one a lot more than I do the other, but both will do the job for you. And one of them, you'll see, has more videos for people to watch, and they're the ones I actually don't like as much. First, there is gener GeneratorSales.com. Like I said, that's Generator, S-A-L-E-S.com. It's called Central Diesel of Maine is the real name. These guys, I like them a lot. They have done a lot of business with me. I've done a lot of business with them. I've bought my generators from them. I sent my friends there, and, and they have bought generators from them, and they have tri-fuel kits as well as generators ready to go on gasoline, natural gas, and propane. Again, they have the tri-fuel kits that you can install yourself, 
and you can send them your carburetor and they'll drill it, or you can buy the generator from them ready to go. So they're just not a place that helps you convert. They're someone who will sell you everything ready to go so you don't have to do it. Again, these are called tri-fuel generators. I think they have this, this website has the most generators of all types, of all sizes, in one place on the web that you will ever find. They also have a real clean website. they got videos on different generators on their site. It's a nice place to go visit. I am not sending my friends to any place that is not excellent because they would bitch and bitch and yell at me forever and I would never hear the end of it. I'm supposed to be the expert on the subject. If I tell people bad things, they yell at me. I send people to places that work, not places that cause problems. If Jack called me and asked me about a propane or natural gas generator or a tri-fuel generator, this is where I would send him in a heartbeat. Their customer service has been excellent. I talked to them, told them I wanted to talk about them during the, this show right now, and they're offering all TSP people a discount on shipping on anything they buy if they use the code TSP when checking out. Or you can call Bill directly at their phone number. Yeah, a company you can actually call and answer the phone. Tell them Steve Harris and TSP sent to you, and he'll get you taken care of and give you the discount. If you use a TSP code online, you'll have to put it after your name in your business name field or the second address field. Just throw it someplace into your order. Okay, I'm, going to, I'm telling you everything about everyone out there that I know of, okay? Next, there is U.S. Carburation. They make and sell kits, and they will drill your carburetor, and they even have kits that don't require drilling, but then your generator will not, repeat, not run off of gasoline. It will be natural gas and propane only. So these people sell kits. They will drill it and send you back a kit or they will sell you a kit that you don't have to drill, but you're, you won't be tri-fuel, you'll be monofuel, you'll be natural gas or propane. The company is U.S. Carburation, and their website is propane-generators.com. That's P-R-O-P-A-N-E, propane, hyphen, dash, okay, generators, G-E-N-E-R-A-T-O-R-S.com. I'll put a link to them as well as generatorsales.com and solder1234.com for you. Now, it's my personal opinion that you need to have a secret decoder ring to figure out what kit to get from these guys. I'm talking about U.S. Carburation and propane generators here. They have A and C kits, type 1 kits, type 2 kits, type 3 kits, type 4 kits, and they're all different, and they all do different things, and they're all different for different generators. And then you need different kits. I think it's a mess to figure out on their site. But they give you a phone number you can call, and you can call them and talk to them, and I'm told from others that they have pretty good customer service. They've just not updated their website in the last 10 years, and for some reason they want to make it cryptic for you to guess which one, which conversion kit you need. If you really want to test the waters and convert it yourself and not use any of these two people, God bless you, you can do that. You can go on eBay and find conversion kits from other people, people I haven't tested or don't know about. You'll find also all the parts. You'll find all the demand regulators by themselves. You'll find a lot of parts that are all used in propane forklifts. And these are all the same parts for using to run the, natural gener the, natural, the generator on natural gas or propane. They're all forklift propane parts, okay? And they're not that expensive. You're going to spend about $100 in parts probably instead of paying $179 for an entire kit. 
I'm not leaving anything out out up here for you guys, okay? Some of you guys are masters of figuring stuff out, and I believe in enabling you, which means I tell you how it's done, why it's done, and where to get it. For those of you who want to see more and more of it, of all of this, go to YouTube and look underneath the following search terms. Search for U.S. Space Carburation. That's U.S. then a space, not S-P-A-C-E. U.S. Carburation. Search for tri-fuel generators, that's T-R-I, space, F-U-E-L, generator. Search for natural gas generator and search for propane generator. You'll see a lot of people who have done conversions. You'll see what it looks like, and you'll get a better feel for how it works and what I'm talking about. This is radio, and this is audio, so it's really kind of hard to show you things, so I'm telling you where to go and look at it. So when we switch to natural gas, do we end up losing power? Yes, Jack, you do lose power ability because natural gas and propane is not as dense as liquid gasoline being evaporated in a carburetor. So it's hard to shove into the cylinder as much fuel with these gases as you can with gasoline. Here are some hard numbers. I got a friend that has a Honda EU 6500i generator, and he runs it for 12 hours a day, every day, and he does it on natural gas. He got the kit directly from generator sales. He refuses to pay 24 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity in California. <laughs> so he makes his own for his house with cheaper natural gas. The EU 6500i is, of course, 6500 watt generator. He consistently runs 5500 watts off of his 6500i off of natural gas. He can't go any more than that because they'll start to run rough and sputter because it's getting fuel-starved and it conks out. So to be generous, you can run 5,000 watts on natural gas from a 6,500-watt generator, which I think what you got, Jack, a 6,500-watt generator. Absolutely, yep. So that would run about 5,000 watts on natural gas. That's 75%, okay? So you lose 25% using natural gas. Uh, so a thousand watt generator will only output 750 watts on natural gas. These are rules of thumb that you can count on. And in the automotive field, remember I was a development engineer, engineer for Chrysler for 10 years, so I know a thing about this. That this is what is generally accepted in the automotive field that when you run on natural gas, you'll have 75% of the power of natural gas that you did on gasoline if you use the demand style regulators that have been used for the last 30 years and we're talking about the forklift uh, conversion stuff. But now with propane, we lose some, but then we don't lose as much as natural gas, right? That's right. You don't lose anywhere as near as much as you do with natural gas. You can fill a balloon with natural gas and it'll float away. Felix Baumgartner, in his now famous flight to 128,000 feet in the space jump, could have actually done that in his balloon on natural gas instead of helium, but his balloon would have been 60 million cubic feet instead of 30 million cubic feet because natural gas is lighter than air, but helium is still lighter. If you fill a balloon with propane, it doesn't float. It sinks right to the ground pretty quickly because propane is a lot more dense than natural gas is and it's a lot more dense than air. In fact, it's, uh, propane has two and a half times the BTUs per cubic foot as natural gas does, but it's still not as dense as gasoline. So you get 85 90% of the energy out of a propane generator as you do with a gasoline generator. Hey, if you think this is a problem for you and you don't have enough power, then get a bigger generator. 
That's a small price to pay to have an infinite amount of fuel that will not spoil. One more thing. Someone actually wrote me and asked me this. They asked, how much energy will a 6,000-watt propane generator output? It's like asking who's buried in Grant's tomb. It's General Grant. If it's a 6,000-watt propane generator and it's dedicated to propane, it will output 6,000 watts. <laughs> if it's a conversion, as we're talking about, it'll be less. Sure, that makes perfect sense. So I mean, we've talked about all these different options. You know, you obviously care about this stuff because you know all this stuff. So with that said, what do you personally own? We know you got that Honda, right? That's your go-to. And, and what else? That Honda EU2000i, it's my go-to generator. It's 2,000 watts. It's an inverter generator. It's quiet. Mine has a tri-fuel kit on it. I've used it during many power failures. I've run mine off of biogas and doing experiments. It's my favorite. When I drive around the country in the future and have a bigger trailer, I'm going to use a Honda EU3000i to run the AC in the trailer. Uh, so the Honda is my favorite. I have uh, other Honda engines, like the smaller engines, not the inverter-style generator. You know, the regular frame generators, I got those. And I probably have about six to eight of them around the shop. Some, uh, it's a two-cycle one from Harbor Freight. And, um, you know, various different types that I've used for doing different conversion experiments around the different years. But to tell you the truth, um, the only generator I'm really going to use is the Honda EU2000i. It's the number one uh, for me, and uh, I'm not going to hook up my house to a 240-volt generator and power the whole thing. I'm actually going to have a Honda sitting outside, and I got inverters on my pickup trucks. My pickup truck has dual uh, deep-cycle batteries, which I'll talk about in the battery show. So I'll run off a combination of battery inverter power, and I'll run off a combination of power off of my Honda EU2000i. Like I said, I'm not going to get a big, bigger generator. I'm not going to backfeed my entire panel. Um, it's just not something I feel I need, I need to do because the majority of my food preparedness is all shelf-stable. It doesn't need refrigeration. I can eat everything in my refrigerator by the time it, it warms up. So that's what I'm, I, Steve Harris, is doing. Now, the Honda EU line is pretty much the top-of-the-line inverter-style generators. There, if there is anyone out there who makes one as good as the Honda, then it is the Yamaha inverter-style generator. I have no end of people who have written me and said how great this Yamaha is. And if you read the feedback on Amazon about it, it's all five-star feedback. There's very few four- and three-stars, and there's no two-and-one stars. The Yamaha is a bit cheaper than the Honda. Uh, I got one listed up on solar1234.com. You can uh, also buy it from generatorsales.com by itself. You can buy it already converted to tri-fuel and ready to go, or you can buy it in the kit and install it yourself. Personally, if you're going to go buy a $1,000 Yamaha generator, spend the extra $200 and have them install the tri-fuel kit for you and send it to you ready to, ready to go. Some of you guys are DIY. You want to know how every darn little thing works, and you want to install it yourself. That's fine. Get the kit, install it yourself. It's not that hard. That way, if something goes wrong, you'll understand it even better. And some of you are all about that, and so am I. I have one more thing to mention. I know it's to be an excellent tool and an excellent company. My Honda runs for about six hours on a full load. 
a full tank of fuel. Uh, this is a bit of a pain, so I have an external fuel tank for it. And all my friends who have the same generator as I do have this external fuel tank for it. We all run off the external fuel tank for days, okay? Instead of running the Honda for about six hours and having to go off and refill the thing, we have a six-gallon external fuel tank, and it plugs directly into the Honda through its cap with uh, an adapter. I can run for about two and a half days on the external six-gallon tank before I have to put more fuel into the tank. And since the fuel tank is about four feet away from the Honda, you can actually hot fuel it. You can pour more fuel into the tank because it's nowhere near the hot generator or any ignition source. Again, I'm not recommending you do that. It's something I saw someone else do. Now, that won't make sense, though. I think that makes perfect sense that if you have that that distance, you, you, you're a lot safer in doing that as opposed to pouring, a, you know, the generator's got the fuel tank on the top, but you're dumping gasoline onto a hot running machine. Um, but you've talked a lot about running natural gas and how we have this infinite supply to our house, but that's inside the house. So how do you how do you pull that off? Let me let me back up for one second. The people I forgot to mention the website. The people with the great external tank is vmsales.com. That's Victor Michael S A L E S dot com. I have no affiliation or anything with them. They have just been such a great company. Actually, I had one of the real early fuel tanks, and uh, the the cap failed. The pop the the bleed valve off of it just disappeared on me. I called the guy and he sent me a whole. I said, "Can you send me a new cap?" He goes, "Sure." He sent me a whole new darn tank. Oh, wow. That's I mean, great. I mean, I mean, that's just the way the guy is, and that's why I'm taking time to mention him on TSP is because he's just been so friggin' awesome. So how do you hook up natural gas to your house and to the generator outside? Oh, Lord. This is about as bad this is about as bad as backfeeding your house. It's dangerous. Some of the listeners are going to have a conniption fit over what I over what I have seen other people do, so I'm not suggesting that you do this. We will also talk about the very legal and the very correct way to do this, but we're going to start off with the most dangerous way first. Natural gas is a lot safer than electricity, but people are more scared of it. Maybe it's because they see stories about houses blowing up from natural gas leaks. People are not scared of propane for some reason, but they're scared of natural gas. True, if you let a bunch of natural gas leak into your house and it gets to the right air-fuel ratio and it hits the pilot flame of your furnace or your hot water heater or your stove, it'll blow your house into a million pieces. But there is an odorant in natural gas to let you know that it is leaking. And for it to get to the concentration where it's dangerous to blow up your house, the odor would be so bad you'd be puking from the odor and running out of the house like a mad person to get away from the odor and calling the gas company and say, come fix this. But a bit of natural gas coming out of the end of a hose outside is not going to be a problem. It's not something you need to be scared of. But you can fill up a trash bag and watch it float away into the sky. Your kids will love it. If you have a problem with doing anything I'm talking about, what other people have done, then get a plumber. Plumbers work on natural gas. Get a plumber in to help you with the natural gas, and even then they might not do what we're going to talk about. Usually you have a main natural gas line running into your house in one-inch iron pipe, 
It will then branch off and go to your furnace and your hot water heater and separate half-inch iron pipes. The easiest way to get natural gas to your generator is to go to your hot water heater and turn off the natural gas valve. This will be the valve and this will be this will be the valve someplace on the line going down to the hot water heater. It is not on the water heater. Turning off the water heater will not turn off the natural gas going to the water heater. You have to turn off the natural gas before the water heater. The natural gas line to the water heater generally runs down to the bottom of the hot water heater, and on the bottom of the half-inch iron pipe is going to be uh, going to the hot water heater. You'll find a part of the iron pipe sticking down about two or three or four inches below where it goes into the water heater. This is for any moisture that might be in the natural gas. If it condenses, it drips down into that little piece of pipe, which is capped off, and then it evaporates and goes back into the gas and gets burned up in, in, the, in the burner. So this is where you're going to tap into. What people have done is after the natural gas is turned off to the water heater is they unscrew the half-inch iron cap from the bottom of this pipe. They then screw in a half-inch iron pipe T into the bottom, and then they screw in another piece of about two-inch iron pipe to the bottom of the T, and then, then they put the cap on the bottom of that. Please note that when you're screwing on these pieces of natural gas pipe, you are putting yellow-colored natural gas thread sealant tape on all the threads before screwing them on. This prevents any natural gas from getting out of the threads, and it will. If you don't know what this is or have not done it, then do not do it. Ask someone like a plumber to help you. This is where you can make a big mistake and have a natural gas leak into your house that will make either a big stink or fire and explosion. Now that you have the side of the T that is coming out per perpendicular to the pipe, the part that is now open towards you, you screw in about two inches of half-inch iron pipe, again using yellow pipe thread sealant. And I'm sure you know that you need to use a real pipe wrench to make sure all of these connections are very tight. You cannot make it tight by hand. You can't do it with a pair of pliers. You really need a pipe wrench to do it right. You can't make a tight enough seal to do it any other way. You then screw on a half-inch natural gas valve to this pipe, again with yellow thread tape sealant and a pipe wrench. The natural gas valve is available at Home Depot or Lowe's, and it's only about 4 bucks. It's brass in color and has a red turn knob handle on it. Make sure you have it turned off when you're putting it on. That would be the knob perpendicular to the line. When the knob is in line with the pipe, the gas is flowing. So now into the natural gas valve, you thread tape, you thread tape and screw in a half-inch NPT brass fitting that has a 3 8 inch hose barb on the other end. This is an off-the-shelf part from Home Depot, and it costs about 5 bucks. Now, what you have done is you have put on an iron pipe, a valve, and a hose barb to the bottom of your hot water tank natural gas line. You can continue to shop at Home Depot or Lowe's or go to Harbor Freight and get a 3 8 inch airline like what you get for your compressor. It comes with screw connections on each end. Cut them off so you just got the hose. Get either 25 feet, 50 feet, or 100 feet of line, just enough to go from your water heater 
all the way outside to where your natural gas generator is going to be outside away from your house. You'll put the same 3 8 inch hose barb on the demand regulator, on your natural gas demand regulator on your generator that is outside that you're going to plug the natural gas line into. You should use hose clamps at both ends to screw down the air line to the hose barb so no one pulls it loose and starts letting natural gas out. Now, you are wondering if you can run natural gas through an airline. The answer is yes. It's not going to magically move through the skin of the hose and come out. Airline is normally used on 150 pounds per square inch PSI air. Its burst rating, the PSI of what the line will blow up, is usually around 1,250 PSI. The natural gas you are running through it is at 4 inches of water column pressure which equates to 0.15 pounds per square inch of pressure. So the airline is overrated by 8,000 times to run the natural gas through it. Methane or natural gas molecules, which is CH4, is a lot bigger than the molecule of diatomic nitrogen or oxygen that you're breathing right now or would be in the airline. So it's not going to magically slip through. Not even hydrogen is going to slip through the airline, so stop thinking that it will. Now, the reason you don't run airline through your house instead of iron pipe is that in the reason, let me back up here. The reason you run air, you don't run airline through your house instead of iron pipe is because airline can be cut. Just as you've cut off the ends to put it on the hose barbs, it can be cut and gas is going to leak out. If you have a fire, it can melt and then you got natural gas fueling the fire. Iron pipe won't do this. Iron pipe is a lot more permanent than airlines, and that's why we are only talking about using the airline in case of a power failure, crap hits the fan, end of the world scenario, cats and dogs living with each other, all that other nice type of stuff. 100 feet is about as far as you are going to go with a 3 8 inch airline with natural gas running through it and the pressure of the natural gas that's in your house. The pressure is real low. I have seen 40,000 BTUs of natural gas run through a 100-foot, 3-8-inch airline to a 40,000 BTU an hour heater and did not have any problems. This would equate to using a third of a gallon of gasoline per hour, and most generators will not use more than that. If you're trying to run a bigger 10,000 or 20,000-watt generator from natural gas, you're going to have to use a bigger line or a shorter line. You'd actually use garden hose and come off of your one-inch line like I described with the half-inch line if you were going to run something that big. Take my advice. I'm going to give you at the end of this section on how to do it legally. But that would be the redneck, backwards, third world, you're probably going to hurt yourself way of doing it. Now, here is the big problem. If you have kids or even a clumsy big oaf of a dog, I think Jack has a few clumsy dogs, don't you? Yeah, yeah, big dogs. Yeah, big dogs. They might accidentally hit this valve and turn it on, and there won't be anything connected to it, just the hose barb there, so you've got natural gas steadily flowing into your house. Yeah, big problem there. So if you're stuck putting your natural gas airline in that location next to the floor, low enough so the kids or dogs can get to it, then you're going to have to put in not a natural gas valve, but a ball valve. It is also sold at Home Depot. It's going to be a half-inch ball valve, and it will have a long handle on it, about as long as the palm of your hand, three inches. 
then you have to go to Granger.com, G-R-A-I-N-G-E-R.com, and there's Granger stores also in every major city, and you'll get an AccuForm ball valve lockout. It's less than 20 bucks, and it'll let you lock the ball valve to the off position with a paddle lock so no one can mess with it or accidentally turn it on. That is if you are preparing in this method. The other thing you can do is if you have a basement that is usually someplace in your main one-inch line or your half-inch line, there will be a T with a plug in it. This is so you can run a gas line to a stove or a natural gas dryer or something else. You can turn off the natural gas to the house at the meter and unscrew the plug and then screw in the natural gas valve and barb as I had just mentioned. That way, it's in the exposed ceiling, and little kids can't get up that high to mess with it. And the big ones who can reach it know that if they mess with it, they'll blow the house up. Note, if you know how to turn your natural gas on and off at the meter with a wrench, when you turn it on, turn it on very slowly. Take a good 10 or 15 seconds to open it up. That way, the lines to your house are pressurized slowly. This is what the power company recommends. In fact, the power company says just call them. They'll come out and do it. But a lot of you guys want to know how to do this yourself. Keep in mind that since you turned off your natural gas to your entire house, if you have a pilot flame in your furnace, hot water heater or stove, you're going to have to go through the process of relighting all those. Again, if you have not done this, do not do it. Ask for help if you are going to do it, and I am not recommending that you do it, and neither is Jack. Again, this is not something you should be doing. It's dangerous. It's not to code at all. You are probably going to have to talk with a plumber that's friendly to you, tell him what you want to do, and have him help you with some of these behind-the-scenes modifications that could be safer for your situation. Note, none of this will be up to code, and it is all a violation of some type. Any plumber that is going to follow code will want to run an iron pipe out of the house with natural gas in it under the ground to a spot where you would put the generator outside. And he'll give you a flex line connection to go from the iron pipe and the valve on your generator to the natural gas line. This will be exactly the same type of flex line that goes to your natural gas stove or natural gas dryer that's sold at Home Depot, okay? That is how you do it to code. That is how you do it correctly. You do it just like you were going to put in a natural gas barbecue outside your house. This is something plumbers do all the time. You have a plumber run on an iron line and have everything hooked up to code. If you can run a barbecue safely outside, you'll be able to run your natural gas generator just as safe outside. This is the way you should be doing it if you're going to have a natural gas generator. I love natural gas generators. If you're serious about long-term power, you want power for more than weeks, you want power for months, you're going to have to look at a natural gas generator. Hooking up your propane to your generator is easier because the propane pig is outside the house already. Okay, You need to turn off the propane pig, T into the line after the pressure regulator. I guess what I'm saying split into the line after the pressure regulator with iron pipe, not before the pressure regulator, and then run the propane through an air line like I mentioned, uh, or a hard iron gas line if you want to your generator. 
make sure it's the low pressure propane that is coming off and it's not coming that's after the regulator and not off the tank. You want the same pressure that is going to your barbecue grill that is after the regulator. With a propane pig, this can be all outside and none of it inside, so you can get away with the airline a lot easier. You might still want to put in a ball valve on your new T that is going into your line after your regulator and your propane tanks and one of those lockouts that I described. That way, kids can't open it up and vent all of your 500 gallons of propane into the air. You go to use your generator during an emergency or go to turn on your furnace once winter time. It's like, there's no propane. Again, I'm not suggesting you do any of this except for the stuff I mentioned that is legally done by licensed professionals and is up to code. This is just what I have seen other people do, and I am relating it, relating it to you with all of the safety concerns. If you are going to do the natural gas, get a hard metal line installed by a plumber outside of your house, just like a natural gas barbecue, and connect it to your generator with a flex line. Wow, Jack, that was a show. Yeah, and let me add to what you just said there that uh, it ain't that expensive uh, to have gas run like that by a plumber, and it's the easy and safe way to do it. I uh, imagine it's for, for, for use at your house, it's what you would do. Absolutely. I, I, I definitely would, especially with a wife and everything and neighbors and stuff. How about when you move to Texas, Jack? Are you going to have natural gas when you move to Texas? It will depend on the property that I find. And with what I'm looking at, it will be highly likely that I'll be doing bringing in a couple thousand gallons worth of propane because it will be highly likely that I will not have gas access. If I do, great. If I don't, uh, I'll go with the propane. Are you going to put in a propane generator like we've, we've talked about? Yeah, I probably will. It'll probably go a little lower on some other things that need to be done initially. Uh, because I already have a 6,500-watt generator, and I have a 1,200-watt small generator, and I have a battery box backup system. So uh, it'll be probably a second-year project because there's some other hardscaping things on the property that will come in the budget first. But that's the long-term plan is to put in a generator that can run off of that that will run whole house because that's just easier. Yeah, yeah. So if you had natural gas or propane to it available to you, you would eventually do this. And Absolutely. And I do it, okay? I have natural gas hooked up such that I can run my generator off of it both at my shop and at my house. And like I said before, natural gas burns a lot cleaner. It's a lot easier on the oil. Uh, you, the generator just loves to run off of it. You get a lot less wear. It's a great fuel. It's a wonderful fuel. Don't believe the, the uh, bad rumors about it out there. And that's got, about, got me about out of breath, Jack. All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you doing two shows in two days, uh, Steve. And uh, I think people have a lot to think about. And I'm sure they'll be looking forward to your next appearance. Okay. Again, everything I talked about, I'm putting everything so you can see it and links to everything on www.solar1234.com. I have all of my previous TSP shows up there. You can listen to everything I have talked about. Um, most of it will stream directly to your smartphone without downloading. I have buttons up there so you can download everything directly as well. It's a convenient place to go listen to stuff when you're commuting, working, exercising. I put it up there and made it easy for you. Of course, you can also listen to everything I've done on Jack's website as well. He has the same thing. But I put everything in one spot for you. With that, guys, you're wonderful. I put a lot of work into this show. It's for you guys. 
I want you to be safe. I want to clear up a lot of rumors. I want you to know exactly how to do it right. I want you to hear about the wrong ways to do it so you understand it if you see it. If you see your neighbor doing it wrong, you know to stand back and you know not mess with it. So with that, Jack, thanks so much. Well, Steve, again, thanks for being here. Folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Stephen Harris, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is you